Hey, listening audience, welcome back to Noggin Notes. Thanks again for downloading us. We do appreciate your loyalty and your listenership. I am Jake Wiskirchen, the host of this podcast, and right now I just I want to take a moment and call attention to some weird times that are happening. We're posting this um, sometime at the end of March 2020, and... I realize that we've been a little remiss in posting podcasts and it's because of all the craziness going on, quite frankly. Um, I don't even know if I'm allowed to use crazy anymore. Like, is that is that not uh, polite speech in the psychotherapy realm? <laughs> We're in mental health. I don't, I don't even know what's judgmental anymore or what's politically correct, but... Um, I do know what we're going through is, is very challenging and it's making a lot of us, uh, more stressed out with this COVID-19 coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, as a result, it's thrown a lot of people's lives into tailspin, my, mine, mine included, uh, trying to stabilize Zephyr wellness and keep, you know, 32 people and their families employed and working has been quite the challenge. And, uh, we think that we've done it pretty well, but, um, time will tell. And so as a result, the podcast has been neglected a little bit. So today is my interview with Anne DePassos. Uh, she's the, uh, she, I don't even know how to describe what she does. She, she, um, she works for Routes to Resilience, or as you'll hear her say, Roots to Resilience. Uh, she's from South Africa, and she's there now, although the company Routes to Resilience is in the UK. And you can look them up, routes2resilience.org. Um, they do so much cool stuff with the with the the world uh, and and youth in the world, and now they're expanding to emerging leaders and and business owners and entrepreneurs. That uh, I'm just going to let her explain it all. I'm not going to try to to do it because I wouldn't do it justice. Um, but I think this is encouraging, especially at a time when we're when we're all a little bit on our heels with what's going on with the virus spread and all that stuff. Um, consequently. I had about six podcasts lined up, and I had to cancel them all. And so now I'm I'm actually down a couple of weeks, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make it up to you, I promise. Including one that's gonna form some uh, form some opinions on on what's going on and how to deal with it. So uh, in the meantime, I hope this uh, helps to enrich and and nourish your noggin as we aim to do on this podcast. Uh, this show is, as always, sponsored by Audible. If you have not checked out Audible, now might be the time because we're all in self-quarantine and you might be listening to more audiobooks these days. Go to audibletrial.com slash notes and you can uh, help us out by enrolling yourself in a free 30-day trial. You get a free audiobook download with that 30-day trial. You can cancel it any time and keep the audiobook. Noggin Notes, I'm sorry, audibletrial.com slash Noggin Notes. Noggin Notes definitely would appreciate if you went there. And um, you get to experience all of Audible's unmatched selection of audio content, not just books, but all sorts of different media in audio format. You can listen wherever you are, on Bluetooth, uh, wired to your device if you want. Um, but there uh, I mean, hundreds of thousands of, of titles to choose from. And uh, our friend, Dr. Christian Conti, has his new book, Walking Through Anger, on Audible. You should definitely check that out if you want to invite a little more peace into your life and learn about his yield theory. So, audibletrial.com slash notes. Download your free 30-day trial. Maybe download your version of uh, Walking Through Anger and add some more tranquility into your existence. This is my interview with Anne DePassos from... 
Routes to Resilience on the Noggin Notes podcast. Enjoy. So we're talking with Anne DePassos. For, uh, she's, she's the executive director of Rats to Resilience. I almost lost my own train of thought there for a second. Um, and, the, and if you want to check out while you're listening along, uh, please don't do this while you're driving. But it's uh, Rats, uh, number 2 resilienceorg um, Anne comes to us by way of Noggin Notes founder Safiso Rapinga because Anne and Safiso went to school together way back in the day when they were just young pups in South Africa. And now she's joining us to talk about her organization that she, uh, you know, she's part of the leadership team. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself, Anne, and welcome, by the way. Hello. Hello. Thank you for the introduction. Yeah. And you're not in um, South yes, Africa. You're, you're in the I UK, am... right? You're, you're in the UK, not South Africa? Uh, well, currently I'm in South Africa running a three-month program with one of our clients, but normally I'm based in the UK. Oh, I got that all wrong. So when I was talking to you about the time difference, are you actually eight hours ahead right now? Or where, uh, where are you? It's almost 7 p.m. here, 20 to 7. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so it's, time it's almost 10 a.m. where I am. So, yeah, we're, what is that, nine hours? Yeah, that's almost nine hours. That's nine hours. Okay. Wow. Okay. My bad. I thought you were yeah. in the uh, United Kingdom. Okay. Well, anyway, there was a little uh, peek behind the curtain for our listening audience. <laughs> anyway, I'll I'll let you talk now <laughs> and stop satisfying my own curiosity at everyone's expense. And <laughs> um, you gotta love living in a global world. At the moment, I'm just hopeful that I'll be able to get back to the UK at some point. Dude, right? Yeah. So for for those of you maybe uninitiated, we're recording this at the like just the well, it's the first week of March and um, well, the second week, I guess. And uh, the uh, coronavirus is taking over everyone's life, and uh, we're like wiping out store shelves, and the entire country of Italy is locked down or under martial law or something <laughs> like that, and like it's it's really crazy. So we just really don't know what's to come. So that's that's the reference there. If you didn't get it, if you're listening to this like you know a year from now. So I am the executive director of Rich Resilience, as you said, and my background has been kind of unexpectedly fallen into people uh, development stuff from the word go. I thought I was going to be a doctor. And funny story, I rocked up at university and wasn't sure if a business science was a science degree or business degree. So I, I clearly didn't know what I'd really been accepted <laughs> for. <laughs> landed myself in a business degree, uh, focusing on organizational psychology, and then um, almost accidentally uh, landed in an asset manager company here in South Africa called Alan Gray, which is one of the top four asset managers in the country. And uh, just found my way through the company, exploring different departments, seeing what it was all about. But uh, once I became a manager, I realized that I just absolutely love developing people. And that even in an organization which is so fast-paced and high-performance and ambition and go, 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 that there is a lot of need to create spaces in which people can slow down and reflect and learn and re-energize themselves. And so I joined the organizational development department there and started leading their, their leadership development programs, uh, which was fascinating and just taught me so much. And through that, it was around resilience and team dynamics and performance and just understanding values and citizenship and influence and leadership. Uh, so I was kind of learning as I went along. 
but from that, learned so much and started to grow into team coaching. So I went over to the UK and have been there now for four years. And through team coaching and running leadership development programs in an asset manager there as well, realized the importance of sustainable high performance. Hmm. How do you create a sustainable environment in which people can excel and when they leave work at the end of an 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 hour day, they actually feel energized and they are therefore able to have great conversations with the people that they love back home rather than what I saw so much of was that people were completely depleted of energy and becoming quite cynical about life. So that started me on the journey of thinking, how do we get people to to discover these lives, find these lives, um, find their purpose, find things that motivate them and, and energize them rather than just focusing on money and how do we get a big paycheck at the end of the day? And what I realized was that trying to do this with middle management was a little bit more tricky. Wow, yeah. <laughs> that... set in their way. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yes. And different motivations so too, right? I, um, oh, yeah. And, and you just realize that 20 years of, being, um, of doing things a certain way and telling yourself a story um, over and over again of how things should be and what you should be doing without any guidance or support, because a lot of by the time I realized managers hadn't really been given much leadership and management training. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, well, then what do we do? So I had this brainwave that I would try and develop something for school, school children, sort of the final year of school where they might be getting into leadership and had just started to explore this idea when I bumped into a person called Tamsin Ratcliffe at a, a, an event hosted by RSA for the future of work and that I gate crashed because a friend of mine was doing a, <laughs> talk there and so I said oh it'd be lovely to hear her get this award and give a little bit of a presentation of the work that she was doing and while I was waiting for for her I bumped into this person Thompson, and we started talking and had very similar ideas about how do we create sustainable environments uh, which in hindsight she was talking more about the environment and I was talking more about um, our environments that we create around ourselves and organizations. Yeah. Um, but it just seems to be a lot of, of a comp- uh, we seem to be complementary in our idea of creating sustainable lifestyles. That's cool. And so Tamsin um, Tam, is your, yeah. uh, I see on the website here because I'm cheating, uh, your director of impact at Roots to Resilience. Um, so uh, go and continue telling the story. I just wanted to drop that in and uh, tie it up for relevance purposes. Yeah, she's a director for a, a non-for-profit organization, not-for-profit organization um, called Impact Trust. Okay. So the and Roots to Resilience is part owned by the Impact Trust and by myself. Okay. So they are our founders. Uh, um, well, me together with the Impact Trust have founded Roots to Resilience. So um, maybe to to create the the, the big picture. Um, to help me understand what impact trust is uh, in relation to routes to resilience. Sure. So the impact trust started after Tamsin had gone to um, uh, done a Cambridge Institute of Sustainable Leadership course and realized the importance of sustainability. And while she was on that program with a number of other CEOs and senior directors who, and this is part of our connect, uh, connection is that they were saying, this is all great and all, but I can't sell no growth to my board. So I'm sorry, I'm not going to really be able to do much of this. 
and that's why she started after going back to university and uh, studying doing her master's in sustainability she then went and started the impact trust as this idea of looking at sustainability from a legislative policy and research background okay so they'll do a number of different programs and projects um in south africa and the uk to promote sustainability and one of the projects that they started was roots resilience to offer this uh what cambridge institute of sustainable leadership was doing for corporates they wanted to offer this for uh, students between the ages of 14 and 18 years old gotcha and so they and to uh, on that was to then provide curriculums that teachers could start using to implement in their schools. This is really exciting. Um, so for like the listening audience, if, if people are listening and we'll probably title this something along the lines of, um, you know, uh, leadership for the future or sustainable leadership or something like that. Uh, I don't know what Safiso is going to come up with, but if somebody's listening and they see that title, um, Start by maybe laying the foundation of what you teach these students um, and comparing it, I guess, to what you found when you graduated and you're trying to work with middle managers who are stuck in their ways and getting them to, like, I guess, think forward or think differently. Like, what would, what's, a, what's a, a, a brain-opening moment or, uh, or concept that you could, you could drop on our audience here to, that kind of uh, paints the picture about what you're, what you're doing with these kids? Oh, where to start? I suppose perhaps <laughs> the most important uh, in our process is we use Atta Sharma's U theory as a as our inspiration in the design of our curriculums, and that is really to go through this idea of um, most important is presencing, and by presencing it's to get to the point of what is my role in all of this, what am I responsible for, what am I energized by. But to get to that point, um, it is to be comfortable with going through a process of gathering and becoming aware of, of context and allowing that to sink in and seeing it from uh, a me, us all, and then also looking at it from global, local, and then individual level. And that process is often seems to feel like it's slow and we should just get from A to B as quickly as possible. But really this idea of exploring and enjoying the journey of going a bit deeper to this realization of, ah, this is what I'm called to do. This is my purpose. This is what's energizing me. And once I know that, I am going to be much more energized and therefore clearer and more capable to... I see my computer's about to crash and switch that off. <laughs> uh, more capable of um, doing the things that I need to do. And it is amazing how when you do find that thing that energizes you, the idea of having to do an eight to five job just goes out the window. And it's, this is, I start living my life. It just becomes part of my conversations and the people and the networks I'm having. And, 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 and that's what I've noticed is that uh, for myself, it's amazing how I probably never really stop working, but also never always don't really feel like I'm always working. And for the students that we're working with, is that they're starting to realize that this is why I'm doing maths or science or biology or geography. It suddenly fits in because I can see this project I want to take on board and the difference that I want to make. And these subjects help me to get there rather than the more arbitrary case of, oh, I just need to pass exams 
and I'm doing math, English, science, biology because I will pass those exams and then I'll get into university somewhere and become something somehow, hopefully just make a lot of money. It sound- and that change of perspective is what I'm noticing and really just bringing, igniting something in the people that come on our programs. Yeah, it sounds like you've helped. Yeah, 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 absolutely, a hundred percent. It sounds like um, you you help them create. Um, I guess to borrow a term from uh, a social work grad student's program, uh, the, there's a micro, a mezzo, and then a macro perspective with uh, meaning and purpose. And you're helping people find meaning and purpose in why they do what they do. Uh, which then drives their motivation uh, separate and apart from the very fleeting uh, concepts of money and job, you know, task completion and job accomplishment and that sort of thing. Um, what kind of, I guess, what kind of um, questions do you ask or are there, there screening tools or, or um, evaluations that you give people that help them center on what it is that they enjoy and what they love? Uh, we do. So, um, throughout the program, we are giving them information um, and take what we try to do that is pers- what we hope is a bit more unique to us is that we do a lot of experiential activities. So, for example, to think of global context and uh, the history of life, we will take them on a deep time walk. So the world has been around for 4.6 billion years. So we take them on a 4.6 billion, uh, 4.6 kilometer walk. And as they go along the walk, we use that to symbolize and explain and act as a metaphor for the for the cycle of life to, or the journey history of life till date. So there are a number of questions and sharings that they're going through. And because it's so involved, there is a lot that is happening within them at the same time. So to be walking 4.6 kilometers and it's hot and it's uphill and it's barren at points and then you turn around the corner and there's suddenly this beautiful forest and life and that that in itself is one way to get them to connect further with themselves and we do a number of activities um, in that also with in terms of explaining the sustainable development goals we don't explain that up front we rather ask them what would you do if you were leading um, a part of the world's leadership team and they they work through that themselves and then get to this point of the questions or the goals they would set for themselves and we compare that to what the UN has come up with it, with their sustainable development goals. So that in itself we find helps people to really connect with and and it ignites something in them. But then getting further down to the U, we use probably what's known by quite a few people, um, PAVE in terms of P, what's your passions, your interests, A, what are your abilities, and V, what do you notice that the world would value so that you could contribute towards the world and the world could pay you and help you uh, to to live a sustainable lifestyle? Passions so those three value. questions we ask. And then we have quite a, in some ways, it's quite, a lot of what we do is quite simple. Um, it's not rocket science at all, but it, we create the space in which uh, the participants will just talk and talk and talk. And then people, because we've taught them really great listening and observation skills, their partner will reflect back what it is that they've heard and just allow that individual who's discovering their purpose, one, the freedom to speak, and two, the the gift of having somebody feed that back and, and reflecting what they're seeing. And that helps them to, to tap in a little bit closer to what they're doing, are you to what fi- they want to do. Are you finding that... Um you know, to, to, to use a phrase, kids these days, 
are you finding that the these individuals are um, struggling to, I guess, be mindful and be focused and avoid distractions and like go deep as compared with say, you know, people who are a little older, like our age, who, you know, maybe pre-existed the, the internet and social media as we know it now and all its bombardment, like are, are kids really craving this or is it hard for them to plug in or um, like, what are, what are you seeing as the, like the general acceptance of the attitude around it? Um, it does seem to differ from one place to the next. What I have found quite interesting work, because our work in South Africa has been predominantly in very under-resourced communities. And um, generally speaking, the groups that we have just live very chaotic lives. It's a rush to get public transport. It's a rush to, and, a, and you don't know if you're going to have a job or a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And what you do get often doesn't necessarily cover much. And then you get back often to quite a violent environment and you don't know who you can trust and you don't know if you're going to be shot at or if something's going to happen. And very, and most have experienced quite awful traumatic events in their lives. And for this group, for these groups, what I was scared of is that they would think that this is all just very um, white people stuff that we're doing in terms of mindfulness and sure. finding purpose. And so I was quite hesitant at first to try any techniques. But what I found amazing is that um, they're just absorbing it. The groups that we're working with is just absorbing what it is that we're doing because it's like, wow, I've never had 10 minutes of absolute silence and quiet and peace. Um, and for a bit of context, the start of each day of our program, depending on what we do, um, will start with 10 minutes of mindfulness. So now this three-month program that we're doing, for example, every morning they'll have 10 minutes of mindfulness and that just allows them to quieten down. And then occasionally in the afternoon, we'll do power naps. And it, what we thought might be a bit boring and uh, I'm not going to come in early to do that, we've actually found that people are coming in earlier to make sure that they come in for that session. Wow. So that's been a, a wonderful realization because I wasn't sure. In the UK, we're also working in East London schools, which isn't necessarily the, uh, which normally has a reputation of being a bit under-resourced and underprivileged. Um, and the, the students are a bit younger there. And we do find it a bit more difficult to tap in. But I, uh, and I, w- I hadn't tried as much mindfulness with those groups. But recently I tried some mindfulness with them and I actually found it helped so much because it comes out of such a busy day of, of working at school and people and my identity and who I need to be and what I need to do. And I'm definitely not going to practice mindfulness by myself, but all of a sudden I have this person in front of me that's making me quiet and down and just connect with my breathing, maybe connect with the word, just become present to this moment. And I can see the difference in how they respond with the with the course material afterwards. Yeah, that's so awesome. I I do think that it's a struggle and it's not something that is done. But what I'm finding is that because perhaps it's just starved of it so much that people are becoming really receptive to our practices. You know what you're uh, what you're kind of um, tickling in my brain here is the. In, in my profession, we're always taught to be mindful of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So you don't, you don't skip from somebody who's struggling with meeting just basic necessities and start talking about esteem issues. 
Um, and, and we apply this to education too. If a kid, you know, isn't sure whether or not he's going to go home to a safe environment or whether or not there's going to be food in the cupboard, it's really hard for him to focus on math because that's, that's higher up the, the ladder. And it's almost like what you're sharing here is inverting that belief system that says that we need to start from the bottom and work up because sometimes what people are craving most is finding that meaning because without it, survival itself almost loses meaning, you know? So I don't know. It's really starting to shift my thinking on a lot of this stuff that for years and years and years, I've, I've just believed to be fundamentally true and accurate and maybe not. Maybe we, we don't necessarily have to work on basic skills for somebody who's living a life of chaos. Maybe what we need to do is just calm them down first and get them to dream, you know, and think about like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Even if you're 37 years old. (laughs) Um, And that's, that's really fascinating to me. I really appreciate that you shared that. So you mentioned the, the, the lower socioeconomic status, the, the really impacted um, kids that you're dealing with. What about, do you, do you work with, um, you know, middle class or upper middle class? And is there, is there a different struggle there to get them to, to buy into the program? Uh, yes, I do. Um, the, just going back, sorry, to your point previously, because I think yeah, it's please. quite an interesting one. What I realize is it's relative. If you, if you were to go and live in those circumstances, you'd feel like you'd lost the basic means. But for so many, it's normal. So it gives me more. Give me something different. Oh, good um, point. So yeah. I, I think it's possibly what what we're also experiencing a, a bit of. We do work with uh, middle, uh, more actually quite upper class. So two of the schools that we're working in or have worked in would be some of the richest schools in the country. And there, what we find interesting is um, oh, there's a couple things. But one is with our with our model, with what we're looking at and sustainability, we look at it from three angles, so environmental, social, and economic. And we found in the poorer communities um, that there's a much greater focus on social hmm. sustainability, which yeah. isn't surprising, yeah. uh, probably. But it's been amazing just to see the ideas that people have come up with uh, supporting each other and, and helping to address issues that haven't been addressed in their communities because they haven't had the understanding of it. Um, or the resources or know-how. And then in the in the upper middle to upper class schools, and specifically in the UK, what we notice is there's a much greater interest and uh, need for environmental sustainability. And maybe this speaks a little bit to your management hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. in that um, social environment seems fine, but my, my natural environment, there's a problem with climate change and climate crisis, and what is it that we're doing and how are we responding and how are we thinking about our actions in terms of how it's impacting the environment and, and our economy. I think of all the different crises and things. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I was, I'm just reflecting. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense, I think, because when you have the resources and the privilege to be able to concern yourself with larger world events, um, you're allowed to, I guess. You know, and you're not just simply um, moving day to day, you know, concerned about, like you said, social or economic. You can concern yourself with a broader, um, broader, I guess, impact on the earth or whatever. Um, that's, yeah, no, sorry, I'm, my, my gears are turning. That's all. Yeah, cool. <laughs> So, yeah, and it's very interesting. And interestingly as well, what we find is that um, men seem to be uh, having more of a big picture view and will look at the crisis happening, whereas the women we've had on our on our programs are often thinking more of 
my local community or, or my families or what's happening around me. Interesting. Which is a bit of a side note, and I probably don't have enough data to to really put in a good <laughs> a good study on that. But just a, a slightly uh, a different perspective that I've that I've been watching and seeing how that progresses. Right. right. Um, in terms of what we teaching with them and what they're finding interesting or difficult, there definitely is a, a need to be more wow uh, in, in the middle to upper class uh, uh, schools or groups that we're working with. Um, we do, the one group we didn't really choose who came on the program, it was just assigned to us. And we found that to be a bit more tricky because there isn't really a buy-in to the program to start with. It's kind of like, oh, I'm just doing this as an extra, extra, extra curricular school. Yeah. And that that has come with its challenges because you've got mixed motivation levels in terms of being there. With one of the schools that we were working with, science with for more, is that they have to apply and they have to pay to be part of the program. And they are the people that are applying are really excited about it because they want to start having an impact and they see the importance of thinking about sustainable life, livelihoods and lifestyles and a bit of a, a, an opportunity for the entrepreneurs, really. If this is the new way of living, how do I get ahead of the game and understand this so that I am contributing towards a more sustainable world and I can start up businesses and organizations it will probably be beneficial given where the uh, world is going in terms of the fourth industrial revolution and in terms of climate change. Mm-hmm. So that's quite exciting to see how that group is eager to be there. And obviously when the group is eager to be there, it's so much easier because they want to know the information, they jumping into debates about it, they're asking questions. The difference what we do see in communities that haven't got great education because I'm not sure if you know, but in South Africa, a lot of times you could have anything between 50 and 70 kids in a class with one teacher. So you can imagine that the education you're getting in those circumstances are fantastic and definitely not allowed to go into great depth, but rather what's promoted is obedience, keeping quiet, and just listening to what the teacher says and taking down instructions. Okay. Um, so when they're coming onto our program and we're teaching them some of the basics around listening, observations, learning how to learn, my emotions, how this might affect the way I learn, the enemies and allies of learning, it's just like the conversation in itself is amazing. And so, yes, okay, great. And we're having small group discussions and they're in it. And in some of the other schools where they are lucky and privileged enough to probably have many of those conversations in the school, what we're finding very important is that we go and take really take them out to experience it. Because there, we notice that people are getting it at a cognitive level, but not necessarily getting it at a heart level. So mm. the other side about our, our programs that's really important is a head, heart, hand. So understand the, the knowledge or gather knowledge, then it needs to connect. And that's, again, to our purpose. We need to connect. We need to feel it. We need to embody it. And then from there, the hand and that we take action. We actually do something about it. So with these schools, what we've found important is that we have many excursions where they experience and get involved and get their hands dirty and take on social action projects so that they can make a difference in their communities. And often because they've got the resources and connections to do it, that they are able to and therefore they get energized from, from the projects they're taking on. 
I want to go so back. It almost becomes less that we lead them in the in the thought process or the information, and more that we lead them just in the in the process, and they they take they do their own research or have their own understanding. Yeah. I want to go back real briefly and, and ask about the school setting uh, in South Africa, but but I also want to expand a little bit upon the the program itself. So just to be clear, all classrooms or just the ones in the impoverished areas have fifty to seventy kids in them. We we kind of have three tiers of schools in South Africa: government schools, Model C, and private schools. Okay. Private schools uh, would generally be about twenty kids in a class. Model C schools are somewhere around 30 kids in a class. Um, and then your, your government schools, most of the time, depending on where you are, but they will they can be uh, sort of 40, 50, 60 kids in a class. I spoke to one of the participants that I had on a program last year, who came from the Eastern King, and he said that they had uh, built a school there for 280 children to attend the school. And on the first day, 2,800 kids popped up, and that's what they did in wow. their school. So <laughs> that gives you any idea of the numbers that they, they're working with. And they had something like 20 teachers. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. So um, back to the program. So when you give these kids the opportunity to go and do their projects or their programs that are out in the community, um, it sounds almost like a culmination of the – the experience these are all individual things that they pick right you, you as the staff people are not choosing something that they all work on together they're they're doing their own individual endeavors is that yep. is that right uh, individual in groups so part okay. of the process of um dis- discovering my purpose and my passions is that they also then need to interview each other all the people so if we have a group of 20 they'll interview each other and find out who has similar passions different skill sets so this is where they're starting to become aware of collaboration and partnerships and through the, those discussions and interviews that they're doing in the in the course they then decide um, create their teams and once they have created their teams they then come up with a project that they'd like to resolve what are so and those projects can vary so in the one one group that we had before i joined the when i was still part of impact trust was that somebody came up with a suggestion box type of idea in their community so that they could find out how, how things could be improved. And another person uh, grew a, a communal garden that they could keep. I, I must admit, I haven't gone back to see um, if it's still there, but that would be one of their projects. Last year, the group that we were working with, one of the participants had, um, had come up with this idea of how to help um, young people who have probably had really tough home environments. And this had come from her own experience where she ha- had watched her father being murdered in front of her at the age of 11 and um, then abducted and kidnapped for three three months and then managed to, to claw her way out of that and got back into school and <laughs> obviously struggled the school because how on earth do you concentrate yeah. with all of that going on? And was told for a lot of the time that she's dumb and that she she can't keep up. And she's like, no, I'm, no, I'm not. But obviously, when you're 11, 12, 13 years old, you don't really know mm-hmm. if you're right or the world's right or what's right. So struggled through all of that. And at about um, 16 years old, where she's doing quite a lot of manual labor to earn some kind of income, she realized this isn't right. Children shouldn't be living lives like this. 
something has got to change. So that was part of her her background already that she was experiencing. And through our program and doing life graphs, she just realized that this was something that was important to her. And so she was working on creating a bit of a like an after school care where young people could come to her and then she will speak with them and help them with their homework and find out what's going on and uh, develop her own um, her own skill set. So she worked with two or three people to try and find a venue and went to then speak to the council leaders in the area and found that she could use the church that was empty in the evenings. And so she set that up and now she has a number of kids that come and join her in the evenings and she's got a venue to host them. She even has a few young adults that come after their, their high school and they she will help them with their studies. So that's one story that's been really great to hear. It, did, it started off as a group project and she's now running it by herself. But that um, that gives you hopefully the spectrum of the kind of yeah. projects that young yeah, people are working on. That's so great. Um, how do you, how are you guys funded? Uh, a number of different ways. So we do have a wonderful partner from Signia, and they've helped us, um, especially in the last two years, and helped us with uh, our Go for Gold sailing and a little bit of this African that we've been working with. Um, we have also sent in a number of different applications for funding, and sometimes we get it, sometimes we don't. And then we, we've done some fundraising events. So last year we did a big give campaign, which is a matched giving opportunity. So when we we had to, we had £9,000 matched, and we managed to get just short of £9,000. We had about 8000 So we that gives us um, uh, twenty almost £20,000 that we got from that. So we've got many different ways. And then the other one that we are trying to do is because we're social enterprise, that's why we go and work with schools like uh, like the private schools here in South Africa, who they can pay for our programs and then we can, that helps to subsidize some of the, the students who are not looking to their anything. Cool. We also have a brilliant partner from Africa Tukun and they they have actually paid for some of our services. So that through their funding that they get it contributes to its programs that we run. What is the the signature? What is that? It's S Y G N A T U R E. Yeah. So our our two flagship programs. The one is the signature award, which is what you're seeing there, and that's called signature because it is it was funded by Signia, um, and then obviously the parent signature. And what what is and Signia? I guess I I don't I'm not familiar with that. Okay. What what is Signia? I'm not familiar with that. They're an asset manager here in South Africa. Actually, okay. Okay. Um, they um, so that signature award we created mainly for uh, school kids and young adults, and it's about seventy-eight hours of content, um, followed by uh, three to six days of an experimental, uh, non-residential immersion or residential immersion, sorry, and then followed by an action project, and. Here in South Africa, we have a thing called the President's Award, which is similar to what they've got in, in the UK called a Duke of Edinburgh Award. I'm not sure if you would have something similar in the States, but it's this idea of you, um, it, it's, it's something that you have to either learn a whole bunch of information or learn a skill or sports or volunteer, and you will get a certain level 
awards, either buying silver or gold. And then that helps to add to CV and life experience and prepare you for university. So our signature award is broken down into those three categories, um, head, heart, hand. So signature skills, that's your head, signature experience, heart, and signature action, which is the hard thing. And the signature skills is really that that going through that new new process that I mentioned earlier, that's Ashama's view, is that what is the global context, what is nature, what is uh, what are the planetary boundaries, what is the, uh, happening at a at a global level in terms of the sustainable development goals, and then going down to looking at local heroes um, and what local people are doing and what the local needs are as well, and then that goes down into my what it is that I am called to do and my purpose. And once once they have that understanding, then it's to do this experience, of which the experience and the, the signature skills sometimes overlap, but at least they must have gone to that point of understanding uh, the different contexts. And then from that experience, they go into the third one, which is our signature action, and that is their take on their social activities, which they go and do something locally, either in their school or in the community. You guys have really created quite the the comprehensive program here i mean this is this is really impressive and and it's inspiring i mean a lot of a lot of what i try to do on this podcast is just tell other people's stories and share their um, organizations and their experiences like you're doing here so that maybe we can you know ignite some interest somewhere else in the in the world you know somebody may have an idea kicking around their head says you know i i don't know how to do this or i don't really know what i'm doing i just know that i want to do something and, you know, hearing this kind of testimony, I think, can provide a lot of encouragement to people who are, you know, trying to, you know, like I always said, you know, borrow a phrase from my buddy, uh, uh, Mike Sodini, make earth better. And, um, <clears throat> and, and so it, it's really neat to hear that you guys just kind of created this out of, you know, from scratch, more or less. And now it's got all these components and these, these multiple prongs and these principles and, and this, uh, you know, this foundation behind it. And you're you are you're you're actually going and helping people improve their lives and find meaning and purpose and that's that's really special and it's and it's I'm seeing here on the website it's not just children like it's it's uh, professionals too you got um, you know young adults and, and emerging managers and and emerging leaders and um, are the are the programs necessarily that much different between what you're doing with the the school age children and the and the professionals or are they more or less the same. Well, that leads me to my our second flagship program that we're doing, which would be more for your um, emerging professionals, and that's the three month program uh, where it's looking. It it still has a, a, the sustainability component that that is definitely key to what we're doing, um, but it is more on how do I use that and understand that to be employable and to to um, excel in the jobs that I get, even though I might not have discovered what my ultimate purpose is straight away, but I know I'm working towards something and I want to do my best in whatever I'm doing because that helps me to be better at, job, at my job and it also gets me the closest to my end goal. So that's called our Sustainable Futures Program. And it's, it's, it's quite new. We haven't yet put on our website because we're still in the process of rolling out the first, the first pilots of it. But we're in day day eight today or yesterday, and um, and seems to be going incredibly well. Participants. So what we've been doing to start with is knowing my competent self. What is it that I am good at? What is it that I um, have experienced, and what resilience do I have already? 
how do I listen, observe, and question so that I can discover more internally? So how do I do that for myself? But also then between doing that for the people that I'm seeing around me and beyond that, looking at my community and the environment. Um, so that's our second flagship program. Uh, so it is, it's similar in that we'll have that sustainability component to understanding context. And it's also in speaking to that, like getting down to that presencing and becoming mindful of what it is that I'm going to do. But the difference is that our signature skills program is more around social and environmental sustainability. It's definitely a stronger component there. And this one is more on an economic sustainability. Do the... Uh, atten- um, oh, sorry. Yeah? yeah I was going to say, do the, okay. attend- the, the attendees of the, the professional development... Uh, program do they have to come on site or can it be done remotely like if i wanted to attend this from you know reno nevada in the united states could i could i participate or would i have to fly somewhere well we'd like to discourage a lot of flying if we can yeah, these days <laughs> as part of the environmental sustainability part yep. but right. at the moment we're finding it important to have it locally so what i would say would be better is if we could get a group together in nevada to run something there as a group um we we uh have we're, we're looking at one of a different partnership that they do everything online and we're seeing if there's a way that we could perhaps work with them but we are a little bit hesitant of the idea of it just being at a cognitive level and often being in it and being amongst each other and building that network um so far we found that that really works so we yeah. we haven't yet worked out how can we do that at um at an online in an online capacity right so at this stage i'm afraid not but hopefully when you're listening to this in a year's time things will be different and you can look at our website yeah totally <laughs> and things will have changed yeah it sounds like that immersion component is really important and i've heard that from online students even who are doing uh like their clinical mental health programs to become clinicians, they do all their classes online and their and their case consultations and staffings. But uh, for a, a a set period of time, multiple times, it might be three or four or whatever. They have to they have to go somewhere on site for a week or a weekend, uh, just so they can you know connect and learn what you know face to face counseling is like. And it sounds like this type of leadership development is is in a similar vein where you have to be you know present and. Um, you know, feel each other's energy kind of thing to, to make it really stick. And so I, I totally yeah. get that. But it doesn't mean we can't, you know, do pop-ups remotely. Um, you know, it, just because you're anchored in the UK or, or South Africa doesn't mean we can't have satellite operations in the in the States. So again, if, some, if somebody's listening and they want to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, launch this domestically here, um, I know we're international, so I could be talking to somebody in Cambodia. So if you want to launch it in Cambodia, <laughs> um, go ahead and do that too. <laughs> Uh, or India, I know we've got a little bit of a following in India. Um, you could, I'm sure, Anne would be able to, to guide you in this. Is is it okay if people reach out to you and ask questions to follow up? Oh, it'd be lovely. Uh, probably the easiest way to get hold of us is at info at rootsresilience.org, because then at least if I'm not able to get it, somebody else will, and we can respond a bit sooner. Mm-hmm. But yes, please do get in touch. Yeah, and that's uh, the number two in Roots to Resilience. Um, we want to make sure we're spelling that correctly. Um, and roots, I suppose, is in the root. garden roots. I don't know. Is, you know, is it a crick or is it a creek? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
exactly. tomato tomato well you know what i really appreciate your time this this morning where i am or this evening where you are uh it means a lot to me and to Safiso. i know you call him smiley because that's a nickname from back in the day i'll get to tease him about that he does smile a lot for those of you who don't know Safiso, he he smiles very big and very bright and it's like a thousand watts um so i, I could totally <laughs> see how he would have that nickname when he was younger and even older so um thank you ann i really appreciate it um what what can we send people away with? Like something encouraging, something inspiring, some you know major takeaway. How would you like to to close this up? Sure, mm, that's a big question. I know. I, I surprised you with it. Yeah. Maybe um, a favorite. Maybe a favorite book. Oh, Arthur uh, Sharma's "Leading from an Emerging Future." I recommend that. How do we move from egocentric to ecocentric? And this idea of us all being connected, not just as humans, but with nature as well. Who's the um, author? I think that would be a great book to read. Um, I also think um, there's a, a word I heard a long time ago, probably, and I, I don't think it's really a word in English to such, but conscientizing. And just like coming to me at the moment is wherever you are, whatever you're doing, is to try and grow your con- this idea of conscientizing. What are you actually doing? Why are you, how are you spending your energy? How are you spending your time? How are you becoming aware of what's going on around you, the decisions that you're making, and what is really happening inside of you? And if you're finding that that's all feeling a little bit disconnected, um, and then look for ways to, to get a little bit closer and connect, with that, connect to that. Because I am finding that people... Uh, the uh, people that are coming in our programs or um, the people I'm speaking to, our partners, there is definitely a trend in that people are acting from a place of consciousness and conscious of their actions, conscious of decisions, and that is making a huge difference to their overall happiness. Conscious-izing? Is that what I heard? Conscientizing. Conscientizing. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, um, who's the author of that book? The emerging from an uh, uh, leading from an emerging future is Arthur Sharma. Oh, he's the same guy with the the U uh, the U theory that yeah. you're talking about. Exactly. Cool. Um, thank you. I really appreciate it. And if you're in a work setting, I recommend Patrick Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team because that's a way of becoming a bit more conscious of work uh, sustainability, five, <laughs> team sustainability. So that might be five dis way. five thank dysfunctions you. of the team. Five dysfunctions of a team, yeah. Okay. Uh, and are, do you know if those are on Audible? Uh, yes, I think. Yes, I, I listened to the Asha Sharma book um, by Audiobooks. It has changed my life as somebody who struggles with dyslexia. It's been amazing to oh. have somebody read books to me, and I can now learn so much more. Right on. Yeah, we uh, we have a sponsorship from Audible. Um, if you go to audibletrial.com slash notes and sign up for the free 30-day trial, uh, they kick us a little a little money, and it helps to uh, do things like buy actual sound equipment instead of a microphone inside <laughs> of a wine box stuffed with acoustic foam. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean... Let's face it, that's so much better. <laughs> it really is, because, I mean, it's kind of our identity now. I mean, I started off using a lapel mic in my garage with a towel draped over my head to dampen the that's echo, and <laughs> now we've moved all the way up to <laughs> to a wine box. <laughs> <laughs> Leaps and bounds. 
leaps and bounds, leaps and bounds. But you. I think he was such a wonderful example of somebody who is trying something and doing something on what you feel so strongly about. And that's partly why I've been so attracted to what you and Sissi are doing. It's because it's conscious and it's meaningful and it brings purpose and fulfillment. And I love that. I appreciate that. Thank you very much for saying that. That means a lot. Um, given that I've known you for all of ninety minutes, um, <laughs> to hear that it's it really means it means a great deal because we do try to be intentional about what we do, and and that's my that's my favorite word in counseling is intentionality. Although I may I may have a new one now, conscientizing. Um, but you know, knowing why you do what you do really keeps you in control of your uh, behaviors and and um, and your actions mm-hmm. and. It invites a self-reflection too, which is what you're alluding to there. You know, increasing self-awareness and and uh, and we do try to try to push this out and and help people, you know, heal themselves. Because you know, even though I run a practice where people come in and they they seek consult from the you know the quote-unquote professionals with the licenses, it doesn't mean that people can't heal themselves on their own. And um, all this information doesn't do any good locked up in my head. I mean, I'd rather just see um, people get better and and you know eliminate playground bullying and couples fighting in the grocery store, you know, just, just make, make everybody just a happier place. Um, and I don't really care if I make a buck. I'll go, I've said this before repeatedly, I'll go tech up drywall for a living to, to pay my mortgage if it means I'm living in a happy society. So, um, yeah, I appreciate you saying that it does that, that, that really, that moves me. Thank you. Uh, thank you for noticing. Oh, cool. um, yeah, it's lovely. And I appreciate that also that you're allowing us to get our voices heard in different parts of the world because I think there are so many people doing amazing things. And that's been one of the other things I've realized is just networking and partnering with all these wonderful people who are wanting to make a difference one way or another. I'm like, there are a lot of us out there. <laughs> There's a lot of us. There and are. We're all wanting to have this happier, better place. And it's so great that someone like you is promoting that rather than what we would generally hear is just about the disasters that yeah. are happening in the world. Yeah, man. It's I, right yeah, it's, it's not it, like I, I keep hearing this, you know, the world's getting worse. The world's getting worse. I'm like, I don't know. I think it depends where you look, and if you and if you believe what you're what you're sold through clickbait media, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna seem like disaster and terror lurking around every corner. But if you purposely seek out where where the efforts are to change that, there's actually probably a considerable amount more good being done than evil. And um, I just I don't know. I choose to focus on that. So um, yeah, high five through the microphone across nine time zones to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Yay! Us. Well, I'll let you go. Um, I know you got to like get to bed at some point, and um, I should probably uh, go about my day. So, um, thank you, Anne. Um, I look forward to staying in touch and and seeing what uh, really cool stuff you bring to humanity through your efforts. And um, maybe one of these days we'll get to meet in person. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much for the time. It's been fun to rethink the stuff that i'm doing and get energized by what we do again happy to do it happy to do it you have a great weekend um to our listening audience thanks for tuning in if you ever want to reach out to us info at nogginotes.com info at zephyrwellness.org and on behalf of the nogginotes team and the zephyr wellness family we wish you all great mental wellness take care 